Teresa Lynn Town Woolard was a 48-year-old from Burton, Michigan. She was the mother of two and had three siblings. On December 11, 2016, police showed up at Teresa's apartment due to a 911 call made by an unknown person. She wasn't there. Witnesses claimed Teresa and a man walked west away from the complex. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. As I've stated more than once on these episodes and on the live show, relationships are the number one cause of disappearances. The drama and passion, combined with resentment and control, can lead to violent outcomes, and those sometimes lead to missing persons cases. In fact, the stats show that if a person is involved with another, from one to two and more the odds of problems arise exponentially. For women, the term that I think I got from some pickup artist video years ago is orbit. The more men that are in a woman's orbit, the more likely problems can occur. And it doesn't always have to do with sex or lack thereof. For men, if you're trying to have a person for every day of the week, you must understand the consequences that come from those choices and the other men or women who are in those persons' lives. It's all fun and games until somebody disappears. Well, in the disappearance of Teresa Town Woolard, she had a few men in her orbit, although she was not romantically involved with any of them. Instead, she knew them due to her addiction. Then she was gone and we're left to figure out what happened with these three men and a lady. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Lyonez's website, charlieproject.org. Teresa Town Woolard was the baby of the family, with two sisters and a brother. She did well in school and got her four-year psychology degree from a well-known college. Teresa got married and had two children. Everything seemed great. But eventually, Teresa couldn't cover up her demons. A car accident in the 90s led to a pain pill addiction that then led to harder illegal drugs. Teresa ended up blowing her family's entire savings without her husband's knowledge. That is, until he found out. They got divorced in the early 2000s, And for the next 15 years, Teresa was in and out of rehab, with a spotty job history and hanging around with a bad crowd. So, on December 10th, 2016, a school counselor took Teresa to see Teresa's daughter, who was in the hospital. On the way home, Teresa had an argument on the phone with a man who claimed she owed him money. 
Teresa got dropped off. After this, details are not complete. Teresa's other daughter received a text from presumably her mother in the early hours of December 11th. Later that day, a 911 call came in stating that Teresa was in an argument with Randy Allen. However, there is no proof this is true. When police showed up at Teresa's apartment, no one was there. Witnesses claimed Teresa and a man left, walking west. However, police never tried to track down Teresa. She was never seen again. Moreover, the 911 caller has never been publicly identified, and Randy Allen says he did not argue with Teresa that day or any other. Disappearances where we have relationships based on addiction have the sketchiest details coming from the most unreliable sources. It also doesn't help when law enforcement treats these types of missing persons cases as second or third class crimes, like they seem to have done in Teresa's case. But we will do our best at Unfound to expose all the factual details and allow you to form your own opinions. That starts with these three questions. Number one, was it Teresa who sent her daughter that text in the early morning hours of December 11th? Number two, if Teresa walked away, why did her phone ping 15 miles away? And number three, why have police not released the 911 call for the alleged domestic violence episode involving Teresa? when 911 calls are released to the public all the time. Teresa's family realizes she had a very high-risk lifestyle, but they are open to most possibilities regarding her disappearance. The guest for this episode is Teresa's sister, Laura Toth. Unfound News Well, I did my first audio blog this past Sunday on Patreon. I wrote the blog concerning Brian Schaefer's disappearance, then I read and recorded it. His is about 4,000 words long, and it took about 25 minutes. When I have the time, I will be going back and putting all the other blogs into audio form as well. Patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. Next. Something else that came from my talk with my former book editor about a week and a half ago is that I will probably be turning the unfound books into audiobooks. She has convinced me that podcast people and audiobook people can be different crowds. So this is now on the agenda. Will I be reading the books? Probably not. No time. Finally, yes, it's that time of the month again. Dr. Telesco and I will be getting together for another interesting discussion. 7 p.m. Eastern on May 27th. That's next Thursday on her YouTube channel. Which disappearance will we be discussing? Kelly Rothwell. Where you can find Unfound. Unfound supports accounts on Podomatic, iTunes, Spotify, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Deezer, and YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, please join us for the Unfound live show. 
All of you can talk with me, and I can answer your questions. Contribute to Unfound at patreon.com forward slash unfoundpodcast. This week, I need to thank Laura and Sue. You can also contribute at PayPal, paypal.me forward slash unfoundpodcast. I also need to give a huge shout out to all the people who have monetarily contributed using Super Chat during the live show on Wednesday nights. Thank you for watching and thank you for donating. The email address, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. Merchandise, the books at amazon.com in both ebook and print form. Do not forget the reviews. Shirts at unfound-podcast.myshopify.com or you can track down my assistant Heather in the Facebook group. Playing cards at makeplayingcards.com forward slash sell forward slash unfoundpodcast. The website, theunfoundpodcast.com. And please mention unfound at all true crime websites and forums. Thank you. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound the sister of Teresa Town Woolard, Laura Toth. Laura, welcome to Unfound. Hi, Ed. Hey, good. Thank you. Let's start here, as we usually do uh, with interviews with family members. Let's just talk about uh, your family. I know that you are an older sister of Teresa, but let's just talk about how many uh, children uh, there are. A little bit about your parents. What was your family like uh, growing up? Okay. Um, well, there are four of us kids. Um, my brother and I, uh, we were both adopted. My parents couldn't have children, so they thought. Um, so they adopted us. And then, lo and behold, three and four years later, my sister Pat and then my youngest, Teresa, was born. And, you know, we grew up in a very small town. My dad was a um, construction bricklayer, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And, uh, you know, we had the giant bus stop out in front of our house where all the kids in the neighborhood were. Um, we were typical, you know, 70s family. Mm-hmm. You know, dinner dinner after dad gets home from work, and parents would whistle to get you back home <laughs> so that you could eat dinner. And uh-huh. So, yeah, it was we, we had a pretty decent life growing up. So when the uh, when the street light came on, that was the time to come out and go home, right? Well, yeah, we were in the country, so we really didn't oh. have street lights. Oh, okay, I was in the <laughs> but country. But when the mercury lights went on in the farm, yeah, you had to go home. Okay, and what uh, town was this? Where is this? It's a little tiny town called Rankin, and it's in between. It's south of Swartz Creek in Flint, Michigan. Okay, and I've been to Flint, Michigan, but I've not heard of that place. Okay, so uh, you were adopted. You have a brother who was adopted, and we were just talking about this a little bit before the program started, or the recording started, because as listeners know, I'm adopted as well. Very interesting story that Laura has that I don't know if we're going to get into now, but um, you and your brother adopted, then surprise, surprise, you then get uh, two younger sisters. Correct. Okay. And what was it like uh, being uh, Teresa's older sister? How many years older were you? Four years older? Um, yeah, I think I was four years. I was born in 63. She was born in 67, 67. Okay. Yeah. And what, what would you say, uh, about, of course, three girls and a boy, you being, um, Teresa's older sister, what was that like? Um, I was kind of like the black sheep of the family. 
uh, I was the one that was wild and crazy and did things that you weren't supposed to do. <laughs> Not really got in trouble, but you know, trouble found me. Okay. Um, and my sister Pat and Teresa, they were only 13 months apart. So they were, they were very close, but then Teresa and I were very close too. Um, I would assume probably because I was the older sister and my brother was very quiet and reserved. He was into baseball, so he didn't really want much to do with those <laughs> girls. But us three girls hung out quite a bit together. We had a good time. Okay. And I have to ask what it was like being that we brought up the the adoption side of this. You being adopted, your brother being adopted, and then two biological uh, daughters. How was that mixture? It was great. It was that never ever came into play we were brothers and sisters mm -hmm. through and through there was no bloodline division or anything like that we were great we were all very very close there was no dissension at all through great. the family ranking great okay so you said you lived out in the country um just in the country or did you have like a farm or or just living we out just in the country in the country just kind we of we were in the country but we were surrounded by farm fields, you know, there were woods and creeks and, you know, we were outside from the time we woke up, we packed the lunch and hung out in the neighborhood all day long until dad come home and we had to go home and eat for dinner. Okay. All right. So let's just, uh, let's move on to talking about Teresa exclusively. Uh, what was she into? Um, of course, growing up, becoming a teenager, what were some of her interests? What do you remember about her personality? Uh, what are those things you think about when you think back, I guess, if she was born in 67, let's just talk like late seventies, early eighties. Um, she was very outgoing. Um, we all played softball, all of us, including my brother. There was a, um, a school, an elementary school that was down the road from us and so we that's where we played they had a field there we had a small get together there were other teams that we played against um Teresa was a pitcher she did great she loved to water ski as well um her and my sister Pat they played broom ball one year that was fun um to watch the two mm -hmm. little ones go out when I say little ones they were 16 and 17 but uh -huh. still they were you know the youngest and so they, you know, they did a lot of stuff. You know, we used to party together. And when I say party, I mean, you know, back in the day when you used to go to the bar, and dance, uh -huh. we would go out and hang out and do that kind of stuff. And we never really got into any trouble, per se. We just hung out. It was fun to be with my sisters. Uh -huh. So you say um, you went water skiing. So did your family have a boat? Did your friends have a boat? And... Friends of ours had a boat. Wow, that's fun. So you learned how yeah. to water ski. I remember trying to learn to do that once. I was not very good at it. So. Oh, yeah. Okay. I learned how to slalom in the summer, so that was really cool. That's tough. Teresa, did, Teresa went with me. She she went with mm -hmm. us, and she mm -hmm. learned to ski as well. That's a workout, right? That's a workout, oh, having yeah. to hold on to the handle, you know, you know, make sure you don't fly off. That's, that's a workout. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you need some upper body strength to do that for sure. Okay. Um, how did uh, Teresa do in school? Uh, what kind of student was she? Um, she she was a lot like me. Um, we kind of hung in the mid C range. We were we were more social than hitting the books per se. <laughs> okay. Um, my sister, my sister Pat, and my brother Bob were the brains. They both were very very smart. My brother had to work hard at it. 
my sister Pat, um, it came fairly easy to her. And Teresa and I both had to work very, very hard to maintain what we had. So we were a lot alike in that aspect. Okay. So you, uh, though, graduate, I guess uh, you graduated high school. She graduated high school? Yes. All right. So like maybe four years after you did. And did she have any uh, work that she did in high school? Did she work and go to school together or what'd she do? She, um, Teresa was, uh, she loved kids. Um, she worked at a daycare, um, Hmm. right after high school through the summer. And then she went to Ferris State University to get her, um, degree in, is it, uh, child psychology? She was starting to get that, but she got a license to where she could, she could, um, have a daycare or work in a daycare as a licensed caregiver. Okay. And she did that for a while. Okay, so she went to college after high school, Ferris State, yep. and I've heard of Ferris yep. State. Okay, yeah. all right, and uh, what about uh, boyfriends? We'll just uh, stick to boyfriends. Uh, not sure we want to get into children right at this second, but um, boyfriends in high school, anything um, like that? Yeah, she did. I can't remember. None of them were very serious. It wasn't until probably her senior year. Mm-hmm. Um. She dated a guy, and they were, they were pretty serious for a couple of years. And for whatever reason, they went their separate ways. I can't remember if John mm-hmm. had moved or if what the situation was. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. But she ended up meeting a nice guy named Scott, and they actually got married. Um, okay. And I think they were married for like three or four years, and then they divorced. And I'm, I don't know exactly what the reasons were. Teresa mm-hmm. was pretty upset about it, so I'm not sure what the situation was with that okay um but they did not have any kids okay but of course you had your own life and i mean you're obviously close with Teresa, but you had your own life to live um you know you're not keeping tabs on her every second you have your own life to live so i I get that if you're not sure on on some of these things totally understandable uh do you think this was a guy that she met when she was going to school at ferris state or what do you think Um, I think she had met Scott through um, a girlfriend of hers, um, okay. somebody that she had met through school. Um, mm-hmm. Where we grew up, there were like four borders of schools. We were on the furthest part of Carmen Ainsworth District is where we went. And then there was Lake Fenton, and then there was Linden, and then there was Swartz Creek. So we had we had the opportunity within a mile of us to meet kids from all over these schools. And I think Scott had gone to Swartz Creek and that's how she had Mm -hmm. met him was through mutual friends. Okay. All right. So she goes to college. Uh, Did she graduate from Ferris state? Yes, she did. Okay. And then she got a, like, uh, like you said, a job in some sort of psychology. Would that be uh, working for a school? Sometimes they have counselors um, like that, yeah, or what? She, she did. She worked for one of the elementary schools um, as a part-time counselor. And then um, she also did a daycare as well. She went to mm-hmm. on to daycare at Happy Elephant, I think was what the name of the daycare that she was at. Okay. So at some point, though, I guess she she got divorced once uh, to the guy that you already talked about. 
But then uh, she, I, I guess she got married again and did have uh, some children. Let's just uh, let's talk about that now. What do you know about all of that? How you know she met uh, the father of her children? Uh, what year do you think that was? How how did that all go? Um, Teresa had met Randy at a bonfire, and um, she had actually. Was, she had actually dated a guy, um, his name was Mike, and they had broke up, but Teresa was pregnant, and huh. Mike didn't want anything to do with the child, and so Teresa in, in, was at this bonfire with her friends, and she met the guy named Randy, Randy Willard, and Randy didn't care that she was pregnant, neither one of them were drinking or smoking or anything like that, so they get it off really well, and... It wasn't, but a couple weeks after she had met Randy, she brought Randy over to my apartment so that I could meet him. And that she was very excited. She she was totally in love with Randy. And a year later, they got married. Wow. So that was, yeah, it was like pretty much instant. They knew mm-hmm. that they wanted to be together. And so Randy raised Miranda um, as his own. Later in life, she did find out that Randy was not her biological mm-hmm father but okay. nonetheless it was yeah. a it was a fairly cohesive relationship okay. once that was told okay so they meet and then at some point in that next year she does have her daughter so he's there when she has her daughter oh yeah and uh just as if he was uh the girl's father and i guess he did raise her right yeah, yeah he yeah. raised her as his own which is which is excellent and like yeah. you said, I guess eventually at some point uh, the daughter found out that some other man was her biological father at least, but not the yes. father that raised her. Okay. Did Teresa and her husband have any other children? Yes. They um, had a second daughter, Nicole, and just like Teresa and my sister Pat, they were 13 months apart, 14 huh. months apart. Yeah. Miranda was born in March and Nicole was born in May. And what what so, years are we talking about here? Just to put us, uh, maybe give the listeners uh, an idea when this time is. What year Teresa got married in the, the years that these uh, daughters were born? Roughly. See, my, my oldest was not in 92, so 96 and 97, I believe. Okay. So she gets married uh 96, uh, also has a daughter that year, and then has yes. a daughter the next year. Yes. Okay, so they are well into their 20s now. Okay, yes. and how was, uh, unfortunately though, at the time of uh, Teresa's disappearance, uh, she was divorced. Um, you know, what went on there? What what happened over those years? How long were they married before that happened? Um, they had been married for probably, I have to, I have to really think of this, because I, I know... I'm getting the dates wrong, and my nieces are probably going to go, really, Aunt Laura, you don't know. <laughs> this um, happens. That happens. Were, yeah, they were probably six, seven years. Mm-hmm. Married Maybe six or seven years. years? Eight yeah. Years. Okay. Yeah. So let's just roughly say 2004 is yes. and when they got divorced. Yes. Okay. Uh, once again, I know you had your life, your own life to live, um, but do you have any idea why that happened? Um, yeah. Um, Teresa 
had she had hooked up with some people that were not mm-hmm. they, they were people that were not good for Teresa. Mm-hmm. Um, it was many years later that we found out that my sister had been struggling with um, prescription pills. Wow. And that's where her addiction had started. Okay. Um, it got to the point where she was not allowed to go to certain doctors. Pharmacies wouldn't fill prescriptions um, because she was using the pills too fast. And then mm-hmm. it got to the point where those weren't sufficing the addiction so she got into some heavier drugs and i know that mm-hmm. with talking to her there were there were she'd been in some pretty bad places okay so she went from and, the the abuse of legal drugs so maybe what we call doctor shopping going yes. to different doctors getting prescriptions and Blackball um, from pharmacies. Yes, yes, yes. And then when that kind of came to an end, when they figured out what she was doing, she went to illegal drugs to fill the void. Yes. Okay. Correct. All right. Uh, how long did it take before your family, maybe I'll just talk about you, uh, how long did it take before you found out about all this? Um, it was probably the year that her and Randy got a divorce. Randy had called mm-hmm. me. Um, Teresa had spent all of their savings, including the oh, kids' college money. Oh, my. Um, went through all the savings. It was just, Randy was beside himself. He couldn't. Oh, my he, he He didn't know what else to do, so that's, that's yeah. where that had come in. Um, mm-hmm. She had been around somebody who was her friend. Her name was Teresa as well, that um, she had been partying with. And Teresa had OD'd, not my sister, the other Teresa. Okay, yeah. And Teresa had told me about that. And that's when I found out that she was really heavy mm-hmm. into into the illicit mm-hmm. drugs. When do you think the this uh, pill addiction started? Once you found out about it, of course, it had been going on for years. When do you think this started? Um, even before she got married in 1996, before that? And, um, and any idea, was she ever uh, honest with you about what brought it on? Um, she, at one point, had mentioned, she, she had been in a, a pretty serious car accident. This was probably early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a head-on collision a drunk driver had ran through a red light and wow. and t-boned them or something wasn't necessarily head on but her and another girl sharon were in the car and they both got hurt pretty bad and i think that is what started mm-hmm. the prescription pills yep um it's common it wasn't in, very yeah, common it wasn't until later that we found out and mostly because Teresa would call me a lot you know, can I borrow this? Hey, do you have any pain pills? Because mm-hmm. I had chronic back pain for years. And when mm-hmm. when the phone calls became more um, frequent and more agitated, yeah. she would be if I didn't have anything or I would tell her no if I did, you know. Um, that's when I realized that there was 
a problem. Something's going Not on. Not enough to bring it up, but then when Randy had called me and, and then talked to my parents about it as well, um, it was it was pretty bad. I think the first round into rehab was 2004 or 2005. The girls were still fairly young, six or seven. Wow. Uh, how yeah. surprised were you when you found all this out? I mean, I know once again, her calling you, you knew, figured out something uh, was going on there. But knowing her the way you did, you were your older sister, four years older, but growing up with her. How surprised were you by all this? I was pretty shocked. Um, you know, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't something that I expected my sister to be doing. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that is with most addicts, you know, you have somebody that's, that's got a good life, you know, things are going good on the surface, but behind the scenes, there's other things going on. And I think it was... It was. It was. It. It really was quite a shock to us, especially to my parents. My parents right. were. My dad was livid, absolutely livid, that she could wreck her life and be selfish and not think of her kids or her husband or anybody. But yeah. that's the life of an addict that we found yeah. out later. Right. Uh, how well did she? do in keeping this a secret from her husband how long was she able to do that of course you've already mentioned that she cleared out cleaned out their savings etc uh was she managed how long did she manage to hide that from him probably a year maybe two wow. you know it was probably 20 bucks here 50 bucks there and then it was bigger amounts and yeah. then it was gone so it, yeah. it took a little bit for Randy to see, but then when he figured it out, it wasn't what she had been telling him. He find out that it was the drugs. Yeah. Okay. So finally, this all comes to a head. Uh, 2004, you stated that she goes to rehab um, for the first time, let's just say in 2005, but also there was a, a divorce, I guess, mixed in there, I guess, because of yeah. this. And yes. how um, how did that first rehab stint go? And of course, we know that she didn't go missing until 2016, so we still have uh, 11 years between uh, her first rehab stint and her going yeah. missing. Uh, what what went on in those 11 years of uh, getting over addiction, going to rehab? Uh, did she, was she able to keep a job? What went on during all that time? Um. Throughout those 11 years, it's very tumultuous. There was many, many setbacks, um, bigger drugs, uh, more money, um, not holding a job down for any consecutive amount of time, um, in and out of rehab. Um, I I had taken her to the depot where the bus picks them up and takes them to Blessed Sacrament twice. I think I took her, Randy, her ex-husband, who was still very involved with her because of the girls. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he he knew that she had an addiction and that he dealt with it the best that he could, considering the girls, because he ended up with custody of both girls yeah. because of the situation that Teresa was in. Right. So it was it was very hard. 
very, very hard for us. So rehab, yeah. I, I guess you could say in a way, rehab did not stick with her. Should go no. and then fall off the wagon, I guess, is the, the saying. Well, Back a lot of times what happens is when, when rehab releases you, they release you into a halfway house. A halfway house is never in a very nice area. So mm. you're smack dab on the corner of Saginaw Street and Martin Luther King in a rehab which is just down the road from four other drug houses. Yeah. You know, it, it, it wasn't, it's never a good place for somebody to come out of rehab and go to a halfway house. The halfway house helps them get their jobs, but the situation that surrounds them doesn't make it easy for the, the addict right. to conform with what they need to conform to, to live a normal life. Right. So, uh, and, and on top of everything else, she's not meeting the greatest people during this time either. It's not just that, but addiction just brings um, harmful people into your life as well. Well, yeah, and, and you know, your 30 days in a rehab facility, you become friends with those, those people. Yeah. Um, some are good friends. Some become sponsors. Some are not so good. Some connect with you when you get out of rehab and you start all over again and you meet new people and you find a new drug and it's a very it was a very vicious cycle for Teresa and when you would talk to her over the course of these years what would she say to you and what would you say to her Mm. it depends I mean there were times that Teresa would just call to say hey I love you and Things are going good, but 90% of the time when she did reach out to me was because she needed money or she was, you know, she spent the rent money on something else that she shouldn't have and now she can't afford her rent. Now she's getting kicked out or, hey, I need money for consumers. Can you help me out? Come to find out the power had already been shut off because she spent the money. So it, between... Us three siblings, we had lent Teresa quite a bit of money over the years. Yeah. And my parents, my mom did too. My my dad didn't know that my mom had helped her out because my dad was still livid with my sister that she could be that way. But we ended yeah. up losing my dad in 2008. So we don't, mm-hmm. my dad doesn't know or didn't know mm-hmm. how bad it had gotten. Okay. All right, so a very trying time. Um, yeah. Money that's supposed to go to rent, going to drugs. Money that's supposed to go to other things, going to drugs. Uh, not being able to uh, keep a job going in and out uh, of rehab. Um, any run-ins with the law over this time? Um, not that I was aware of. I do know that towards the end or close to her disappearance there were um some some phone calls my sister was being threatened Mm. which i didn't find out really any of this until after my sister Mm -hmm. had gone missing um it was thanksgiving of 2016 when i saw her the last time and she had said to me that she had to go into rehab um, mm-hmm. or she would die was basically how she mm-hmm. put it to me. And I said, because of the drugs? And she said, yes. 
Now, that could have gone two different ways and why I didn't think to clarify it. Of course, hindsight, you don't know. Yeah. Could it have been because somebody was threatening to kill her because she owed money? Or mm. was it because she was so heavy into the drugs that she knew if she didn't get clean, she would die? She would die. Okay, yeah, yeah. you can certainly take that a couple different ways. Okay, yes. let's move on um, to some of these things I think are going to uh, play a, a huge role in, in, in describing her disappearance to the listeners so they can understand it as well as possible. Let's first uh, talk about this apartment that she was living in. Sounds uh, like um, a shady place, but she was uh, living in this place. Why don't you describe it, uh, how long she had been living there? Uh, Did you ever go to the apartment where she was living? Was she living by herself? Let's first talk about this apartment complex where she was living at the time of her disappearance. Okay. Um, she had moved into Kings Lane apartment shortly after she got a job at a cardboard packing company. Um, and at that point, from what I understand, from what I knew, Teresa was clean and she had been working at that job for a while. My mom helped her get the down payment for the house or for the apartment. The apartment complex in the area that it's in is not a very nice place it's it's very well known for its drug activity Mm. i personally had not gone to that apartment while she was living there um i lived on the other side of the state at that time i had moved to grand rapids area in 2012 so um okay me living close to her i just knew i knew of king's lane because of it had that reputation long before I moved. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I just have to ask, is there a reason she couldn't have picked some other apartment complex to move into that your mother couldn't have put a down payment on a place maybe that was a little, it would probably be more expensive, of course, but a little nicer place? And did that go into the think, thought process at all or, or, or what? Do you know? I don't. I don't know if that was really an option for my mom. I, I think the amount of money that my mom had lent her was was enough. Um, probably not to get her into a nicer place. Um, okay. I think if, I think Teresa might have chose Kings Lane because of where it was. Right. She was clean at the time. Right. But, but addicts like to be around that situation, whether yeah. they're clean or not. They're, you know, some do, not all, not all by any means, but mm-hmm. um, it, it, it's very well possible that that was just the best place that she could get into at the time and afford. Okay. And when did she move into there? Into there? Just to remind the listeners as to when she disappeared, she disappeared uh, roughly around December 11th, 2016. When do you think that she moved into I think that? She, she would have been a year in at Kings Lane, January of 2017. So she hadn't quite uh, got a year in. Okay. And she was living like there she by. She moved in at the end of December in 2015. Okay, so very close to a year, and she was living yeah. there at least as far as any names on any lease or anything. She was living there by herself? Yes, her daughter Miranda had stayed with her for a while, but um, mm-hmm. Miranda didn't want to be there any longer because at 
later in the year, it got to the point where um, there were, it was not a good place for yeah. me. Doesn't sound like a good place for kids. It certainly doesn't no. the way you are describing no. it. Even though, I guess the times, uh, Miranda would have been, what, 18? Mm, 17, 17. 18, 18? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to this, being that we're uh, talking about this apartment. Uh, Teresa, a couple months before she went missing, there was a break-in. Uh, let's talk about that. How did you find out about it? What was taken? And it turns out that we kind of even know who did it, but uh, what do you know about this break-in? I didn't know anything about the break-in until long after Teresa's disappearance. Um, we worked with the police. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, mm-hmm. but um, I found out through a report oh. that um, mm-hmm. somebody had broken to her apartment and took a TV and her cell phone. Okay. So, and this, and when did this happen? Um, earlier that fall, maybe September. I can't remember okay. the dates from the report. Okay. Um, somewhere around there, but again, hindsight after she had gone missing, that's that's when. Well, you... actually, before she went missing, I knew that she was bad on drugs. She had lost mm. her job. Okay. Uh, regarding this break-in, when it happened, uh, did she tell, uh, obviously, like you said, you didn't find out about it until after she went missing. Did anybody in your family know that this break-in had occurred before she went missing? Not that I'm aware of. She never told anybody? No. Teresa kept her, her life mm. separate from us, mm-hmm. especially when she was under the influence. We didn't, we didn't know a lot mm. of the people that she hung out with. Okay. There were a couple people, but not, we didn't know the two gentlemen that it broke in. Okay. And you did say that you did talk to her or see her at Thanksgiving, and this break-in happened before that. So she that she never brought that up when you two talked no. at Thanksgiving? No. Okay. Let's move on to this. This is something, may, I think, also that you found out after she went missing. But just in, in general... Um, was she borrowing money from people and, and possibly not paying them back? Was that something that you knew was going on? Of course, we know that she was t- uh, had taken money from you and your other siblings, uh, your mother, but were you aware that she might have owed other people money? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. not... She had... And you and I hadn't talked about this before, but she had actually two Thanksgivings prior to this last one, she had stole money from my brother-in-law. Oh my. So there was, we knew that there were some issues then as far as owing other people money. I'm going to assume yes, Mm -hmm. because you have to have money to support your habit. And at that point she had lost her job. So, you know, it's very well Mm -hmm. possible that she borrowed money from somebody. Okay. How did she go about stealing money from your brother-in-law? How did that happen? Thanksgiving Day, we were at the house, and she, it was obviously, it was obvious that Teresa had been under the influence of something, Mm -hmm. but uh, we had to keep a close eye on her, and one time, we didn't have an exact location over at my sister's house's fairly open, but she had gone into 
my sister and brother-in-law's bedroom and found Randy's wallet and Randy caught her. No, wow. not Randy. Chris. Chris is my brother-in-law. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, caught her taking the money. Wow. So that okay. was okay. That was that. All right. So she's. All right. Okay. So she, uh, so we'll move on to this. It's very sad. Uh, let's move on to this. So when you did see her at Thanksgiving though, she brought up this idea that if she didn't do something, she was going to die. Yes. And and so this is not even a month before she went missing. Correct. Okay. And when was the last time that anybody in your family, uh, saw, uh, Teresa before she went missing? Um, her daughter Miranda was at a facility um, getting some medical treatment, and mm-hmm. uh, that was Saturday, December tenth, that Teresa had gone to visit her. Okay. Well, let's just so be- was- okay. We'll see. Being that uh, uh, you brought that up, let's just move to that day. So she has all these things going on. Very dark place. It yeah. is. Uh, this is a very common topic. On Unfound, we talk, uh, unfortunately, a lot about addiction and people going into rehab and coming out and it's not sticking. And um, we talk about people who uh, first are addicted to what we'd call legal drugs and then move on to to illegal ones. Very common discussion. So uh, the listeners have heard a lot of uh, this before. So moving up, so that's what was going on with Teresa. So we move up to December 10th. What do we know about the day? She went to see her daughter. I don't know if we wanted to get into exactly what her daughter was going through. It's probably a little out of bounds here. But what do you know about uh, Teresa's movements that day? Who else saw her? I think she got a ride with somebody. Let's just talk about that day. Yeah, Teresa didn't have a car. So um, one of the school counselors for Miranda... um, had told Teresa that she could take her down to see her daughter and then pick her up. That's just how nice people are. Mm-hmm. So from what I understand from another report that I had read, that while they were traveling back from the hospital, uh, Teresa had received a phone call. And mm-hmm. the counselor had stated that it didn't sound like a very friendly phone call. There was some some uh, arguing per se not necessarily on Teresa's side uh she could hear a gentleman in the background you know over the phone um mm-hmm. how do I put it uh not very nice conversation okay and what and what and we can just say this guy's name I'm not uh if you want to would you like to say his no. name yeah um David Maholich. all right and that is M-O-H-O-W-I-T-S-C-H, something like that. Yes. Very, uh, yes. I guess, a very Polish uh, last name, but that is his yes. name, and he was the one that called her. And you found, once again, you found out about this after uh, Teresa went missing, but this guy called her and was the conversation about money. Yes. Okay. And this counselor who was a party to this phone call in her car, how long did she say how long it lasted? Did, did, did Teresa say anything to her after the phone call ended? From what I understand, no, she didn't say anything to the counselor other than maybe it was just a friend of mine. Um, the conversation didn't take very long, maybe 
five minutes. Mm-hmm. Enough to get the point across to Teresa. Okay, so this goes back to this money issue. Uh, her yes. needing money, people giving her money, her stealing money. And I guess we could believe that um, David was calling her about some money he had given her, and I guess she hadn't paid him back. That's kind of the general tone of it. And before you heard this report or found out about this report, had you ever heard of David Mahowich before? No. So no conversation that you ever had with Teresa. She had ever mentioned him? No. Okay. All right. And so this is what was going on. And it doesn't seem to me, even though they were in this counselor's car, that Teresa was very descriptive of why that guy was calling her uh, when they were coming home. Correct. Not even a look. Please. No, she didn't really. She didn't really elaborate on mm. friends or mm. conversations to people mm. outside of that clique. You know, the okay. counselor. She's not going to go in and tell the counselor, "Yeah, that's my drug dealer," or that's, <laughs> that's right. The guy I, that I suppose. I owe money to you know. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I I guess what I'm saying is that the conversation is taking place in somebody else's car who is sitting there. Uh, I guess it seems a lot of people would have just after the phone calls over would say, you know, I apologize for that. This guy, I owe him a couple bucks. She didn't say anything like that. Not that I'm aware of. Okay. So, but she did answer the phone. I guess she could have ignored him, but she decided to pick up the phone anyway. And this guy's ticked at her. And so then the phone call finally ends. Uh, This counselor then drops... Teresa, back off at this apartment complex uh, that we've already mentioned. Do you have any idea what went on with Teresa the rest of that day, which would have been a Saturday? No. Um, again, you know, mm. a lot of this information wasn't given to us until long after my sister right. had gone missing. And I can't remember in the report if it said that there was... I don't remember if it was the 10th or the 11th that there was a, a 911 call. I know that there had been 911 calls previous from mm-hmm. my sister to the Burton police um, in regards to death threats and harassment. But mm-hmm. um, if anything took place that day, I'm not sure. Okay. Um I guess what I'm asking you is, uh, is it ever been verified that anybody else saw her the rest of the day after she got home? Did anybody in your family talk to her, call her, for example, calling to find out how her daughter was doing? Anybody in your family talked to her the rest of that day? No. Okay. Um, I know that her, young, her youngest daughter, Nicole, <clears throat> Teresa... Let me just put this in there. Teresa loved her girls, and she did everything in her power, even while she was struggling with her addiction disease. She made it a point that she talked to her girls every day. Mm-hmm. And Nicole might have talked to her earlier that day, but I know that Nicole was worried because she hadn't really heard much from her mom. And there was a text that had come through at one fifty-one in the morning, which would have been Sunday the 11th, Okay. Um, that she was sleepy or I'm just tired, something like that, because Nicole had texted her. Mm-hmm. 
other than that, as far as Nicole going over to the apartment or anything like that, I'm not sure. Um, okay. All right. All I'm trying to establish is that after uh, Teresa got dropped off back at her apartment, we don't have really good a, a really good idea what went on at that apartment after that. We, we don't know if anybody came over. We don't know if she went to any anywhere. We don't know if she went next door. We don't know if she walked down the street to the convenience store. We just don't know. For, for the rest of the tenth. For the rest of the tenth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. We'll get to the eleventh here in a second. But the tenth. Okay. It's just a little unclear. On let's just say that the counselor dropped her off at her apartment at five p.m. I don't even know if that's the right time. But it, it's five or six somewhere around yeah, there. Yeah. So the rest of those other next six hours, we're just not clear what went on with Teresa. Correct. Okay. So then we get into the 11th. You've already kind of mentioned it, but sometime shortly after midnight, so now we're into a December 11th, uh, her other daughter, who is not in the hospital, gets a text. And what was that text? What did it say? Um, it's, it, it came across as, I'm, I'm tired or I'm, I'm sleepy, mm-hmm. something like that. Meaning, I guess Nicole took it as, that's why I haven't talked to you because I'm tired. Okay. But, yeah. Okay. So, uh, the daughter gets this text, and um, that's the last time the daughter heard from yes. from Teresa, both daughters. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, this is, once again, early in the morning of December uh, 11th, which w- it would be a Sunday of 2016. Uh-huh. And so... Um, we move on, and now, though, there is this story. Once again, uh, the listeners need to understand you've gotten this information after the fact. You did not know that this was going on, but this is how we're going to talk about this. Uh-huh. Is that at some point, it seems on December 11th, somebody called 911 concerning um, Teresa and somebody. Uh, what do you know about that? To me, it seems like the details are a little bit vague. But why yeah. don't you, in your best, uh, the best you can do, try to explain this seemingly this nine one one call that seemingly happened on the eleventh that had something to do with Teresa. There was a call. Well, let me think how this is going to go. All right. So I know that Nicole was pretty adamant that there was something wrong with her mom because she hadn't have made any more contact with her. Um, Another friend of the family, Randy and the girls, um, Nicole had called her, I think, Danielle, to go over to the apartment because she was friends with Teresa as well, to go check on her. So they did a, what is that? What do they call that? A welfare check? Welfare check, Yes. Supposedly that day, a welfare check was done um, to find out that Teresa wasn't at the apartment. And that's when they found that her phone was gone, but her purse and stuff was there. There was another 911 call for a domestic dispute involving Teresa and... I don't know if it was Randy Allen or if it was this David Mahowich. Um, mm-hmm. Somewhere, somewhere, either overnight, must have been 
early, early morning of the 11th that somebody had heard and seen the dispute and saw mm. Teresa heading west on the sidewalk um, with with David Mahowich. And that was the last anybody had seen him. I thought it was with Randy Allen. Randy Allen. Okay. okay. I can't remember the two okay. names, but yes. Okay. All right, David Mahowich is the guy that called her the day before wanting his money. Randy Allen is the guy, and we haven't haven't talked about him in detail. But let me just go through this again, uh, try to sort this out a little bit. So uh, the daughter gets this text from Teresa saying how sleepy she is, but there's no proof that Teresa actually sent that text, correct? Correct. It could have been anybody who had her phone, and we've run into that many, many times before on Unfound. So mm-hmm. we just don't know about that. But at some point, it seems then right around when this text was sent, somebody called 911 saying that something was going on. Do we know who called 911? Have you ever heard this 911 call? Have the police ever told no. you who call, who made this call? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, okay. That's yeah, fine. I, I just I'm I'm just asking. Being that there was a nine one one call, sometimes they make nine one one calls public. And yeah. and then also sometimes with disappearances, they will tell a family, Well, this is, you know, John Smith called this was who called nine one one, but you don't know who called this in. Not off the top of my head, no. Okay. So then because of this, the police show up and they do a little uh, a welfare check like you've uh, said, and somebody said, Yeah. I saw they go to the, this King's Lane apartment, talk to somebody, and the person says, yeah, I saw Teresa and this guy, Randy Allen, who we'll talk about in a bit, uh, walking westbound from the apartment. Correct. Okay. Um, what do you, once again, I know you found out about this later. Do the police follow up on that? Do they get back in their car and start driving westbound to try to find these two? What did the police do, if anything? I don't think the police did much of anything because of the reputation that Kings Lane has. It's a very high traffic 911 area. There's a lot of stuff that goes on at those apartment complex. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether or not, I mean, I know, again, I'm going to have to say this again. Later on was found out that, yes, they did search dumpsters and they mm-hmm. checked behind Value City, which is the building next to the apartments where they were headed towards that particular area i know that they checked those areas not to find anything okay so they get there uh teresa of course is not there Uh, i guess randy is not there we'll we'll get into him in a second so they're the police don't well we don't really know what to do and they just leave it at that for the time being okay yes um so then, as you then later described, when nobody heard from Teresa later in the day, once again, Sunday, December 11th, that's when her daughter, Nicole, started to get a little worried, and um, they went over there, and this a person who is Rachel goes to the apartment, and what happens? This friend of... Uh, who is Rachel, first of all? Um, Rachel, Rachel Daniels, that's her name. Um, mm-hmm. She knew Teresa... And Nicole and Miranda, and I think it's because they had she has a daughter close to both the girls' age. That's how they knew each other. Um, Nicole was very close with Rachel, so she had called Rachel wanting to know if she would go over and check on her. So 
that's when Rachel went over to do the welfare check mm-hmm. and have them open up the apartment. And that's when they found that, you know, Teresa was in the midst of packing to go because she was heading to rehab. Okay. So, and I have it in my notes, though, that the place, even though she was packing, though, uh, I, I have trashed. it in my, it was trashed. Yeah, you have the same outline I do. That's what I have in my notes. It was trashed. Uh, yeah. Ha, did you, uh, I have to ask, did anybody take any pictures of it? Did you, uh, any, did they send a picture back to you? Hey, this is what Teresa's apartment looks like. Anything like that? No. Okay. So she goes, uh, she finds, I guess the landlord opens the uh, place up. Teresa's not there. Uh, looks like she's pack, packing. And um, what does Rachel then do? And we have to remember this would have been several hours after this witness who called 911 saying that Teresa and this guy walked westbound. Um, of course, I don't think Rachel and Nicole knew that at the time. But no. they show up and... Uh, Anything else that does Rachel do anything else while she is there on the 11th? Um, I don't know if Rachel went and talked to any of the neighbors or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that they did discover that her phone was missing, mm-hmm. but her ID and purse and everything was still in the apartment, which was not conducive to Teresa's behavior. She didn't go anywhere without her purse. Okay. So is 911 called then late on December 11th once again once again this time for a second time regarding uh, Teresa it, when is uh, a police report filed uh, regarding her going missing uh, anything like that um, Randy Willard tr- the Teresa's ex-husband and the girl's dad had also contacted the police and wanted them to do a welfare check and, of course, Teresa's not there. So Monday, the 12th, Randy goes to Burton Police, and he wants to file a missing persons report. And they kind of give him the runaround. And it wasn't until Wednesday. So now my sister has been missing, say, four days, that myself, my mom, and my other sister, Pat, actually went into Burton Police and begged to speak mm-hmm. to detectives so that we could get this going for okay. a missing person. And okay. it was at that point that they finally took us serious. All right. So it was several days later. Yep. Okay. All right. Now, all right, so finally this report uh, finally gets filed. Let's just, uh, of course, now we have two Randys, and we'll try to make this uh, as orderly as possible. So we have Randy Woolard, who is Teresa's ex-husband. And so we call him Dad Randy. Dad Randy. And then we have, uh, I guess we would say bad, instead of Dad Randy, we have Bad Randy, who is bad Randy, Randy. Randy Allen. Um what can you say uh, about Randy Allen? Had you or anybody in your family ever heard of him before? Uh, any uh, had, had Teresa ever mentioned him to anybody before she went missing? No, not that I'm aware of. Okay. I but, don't even think the girls knew who he was. Okay. But on the other hand, when this 911 call was made and the police showed up, his name popped up. Yes. All right. And it turns out that, uh, was he living next door? That's where it becomes really confusing 
technically he's not on the lease, mm-hmm. but he frequented that apartment enough to where a lot of people thought he lived there. Okay. So, and he's a bad guy, criminal record. Uh, is he into drugs? Yes. Okay. All right. So now that we have an idea uh, of who he is, but this is a different guy from the the David guy that we've already uh, spoken about. All right. So we're we're now, of course, this the disappearance seemed to have happened somewhere in the the December tenth to eleventh range, but now we're here to like the, the December fourteenth. What do the police do? Do the police um, track down uh, Randy? Alan, what what did they do? You've already stated that there were some searches done in some garbage bins, containers in the area. What was everything that they could do? They, once they finally took it serious, they did do some investigations. They did pull uh, phone records. Um, there were pings on a tower. Um, which was north, probably 10, 15 miles of where Teresa's apartment was. Um, my sister Pat had kept the phone uh, paid in case Teresa was still alive and she tried to contact anybody, but the, the phone calls stopped. Um, the pings has stopped shortly after that. Okay. So search is done. Uh, when you to describe the area, since I know you've been there, uh, if they were walking in a westbound direction from the apartments, uh, any woods in the area, any bodies of water, any anything like that, or is it just uh, mountain buildings uh, for as far as the eye can see? Yeah, it's you know it's kind of a there's in that intersection. There's uh, like a car wash on the northeast side. There was an old, like a small grocery store on the northwest side. Then there was a smaller subdivision with older homes on the southwest side. And then on the northeast side of the road, which was where Teresa and Randy, Bad Randy, were headed, is like a small strip mall. Um, with an alley and then the storefronts on, on, you know, on the opposite side of that. So there, there's Mott Lake, which is a little ways away. And then there's the Flint River, which is a little ways away. But those waterways had been checked um, at some point. Um, not necessarily right away because it was, you know, the middle mm-hmm. of December. Okay. But there was a search that was done later on that was organized through a nonprofit organization that involved um, Genesee County Sheriff's Department, Burton Police, um, many volunteers mm-hmm. um, that had actually went out and searched different areas, part where the ping was found, parts where known homeless people hung out. Yeah you know, in woods, because there's, there's woods around, but not right where Teresa was. Okay. All right, so some searches were done, obviously. Uh, no one or nothing uh, connected to uh, Teresa was found. So let's move on to this. Let's go back to the, the apartment. You've kind of talked about this, but let's talk about this a little more in depth. Rachel gets there, um, 
It looks like Teresa's packing. She had plans to go to rehab, but she hadn't finished packing. But um, what are the things that are missing? Uh, of course, Teresa is missing. What else is missing besides Teresa? Her phone. The, her phone is the only other thing. Like you said, her purse was there. Yeah, her purse okay. was there. Her um, MTA, it's a bus pass, mm -hmm. that was there. And that had just been issued, so it wasn't like it was expired. Mm -hmm. um, smoke, she had, you know, she so smoked cigarettes, so she rolled her own smokes. So there was a whole tray full of cigarettes and a case that she put them in. That was all left behind. So oh. looking at that, it looked like she was coming back or didn't leave on, you know, for long term. She wouldn't okay. have left. Okay. I can't believe that she would have left any of that. Okay. Uh, sounds like uh, this apartment's a shady place, which probably means the owner of the place and the manager is shady too. But uh, the person who is responsible for checking people in and out, uh, helpful at all, uh, do they have any video cameras on the property that could be viewed? Anything like that? Um, I know, well, I, I just hate this because my mind is going crazy right now and I can't. All we're, all we're looking, all we're looking for is the facts. Uh, it's either, were they helpful or were they not helpful? I'm going to say no. Okay. Any video that you've ever been told about? Uh, that uh, video cameras on the property. We have to remember this is just five years ago. Video technology very sophisticated these days. Any videos that that uh, the police ever collected that you've ever heard about from the property? No. Okay. All right. So uh, it's probably about just what we expected: shady uh, establishment and not offering a lot of help. Um, maybe a different kind of place would have been a little different. So we, we don't have anybody in that kind of capacity, uh, any technology to help us there. Let's uh, go on to the phone pings. Uh, her phone is missing. What did the pings say? Where did they occur? Do you know anything about the timing of them? Um, from the report that I had read, there was a ping... North Genesee Road. I don't have the address or anything, but it's not in an area close to her apartment. But it could have been gotten to by the bus or somebody could have drove her there if mm. that's where she was. So once again, the, and would you say that that ping, being that this 911 caller said that she was heading in a westerly direction away from the complex allegedly with Randy. Well, was that ping to the west of the apartment complex? No. It wasn't. It's north. It was north of it. Okay. And so any ideas? Uh, have you ever seen any phone records? Um, text phone calls that she might have made to other people that night. We, of course, we know about this text that went to her daughter. Any phone calls or texts after that, to your knowledge? Yeah. Um, there was... It, it seems like there was one or two um, calls to Teresa's phone, uh, but none were of any amount. There was... Mm -hmm. uh, an 84 minute or an 81 minute from 
David Mahowich on the 10th, okay. I believe. I'm, I'm um, just worrying about the 11th since it seems that that's when she went missing. I'm just wondering about any calls, texts that happened on the 11th. Um, it's possible. I can't remember. Jesus. Jesus. Um, I can't remember. And I'm sorry. That's all right. That's okay. Fine. So I'm just going to, being that I've done a few of these interviews, I'm going to guess being that you can't remember, there's just nothing that really jumped out at you, which I'm yes. going, I, I'm sure you would That's remember if you, if you had been told that, yes, John Smith called her and they had a 15 minute conversation on 10 a.m. on December 11th of 2016, you would probably remember that. Yes. All right. So being you would. So being that you can't remember anything, it doesn't seem that uh, there were any any kind of phone calls or texts. But you do, of course, remember this ping that was yes. not in the direction that the nine one one caller said that that she walked. Uh, okay. And and I think that people are going to be very suspicious about this nine one one call anyway. All right. Let's move back to this. Those neighbors. Uh, She's living there. She's living in this very shady apartment complex. Uh, She has these uh, neighbors. We know Randy Allen is there. What did these neighbors uh, in the reports, if police have told you anything, uh, they went to talk to these neighbors. What did these neighbors have to say? I know you gave me those names. I don't think we need we have enough names already. But right. what uh, what did they have to say about December 11th? Did it, either of them admit calling 911? Anything like that? No. <laughs> so people didn't want to talk. Okay. And like like you said earlier, one person said, "Yeah, they saw bad Randy mm. walking westbound with Teresa." All That's right, all and and that was the 911 call. But to this day, we don't know who called 911. Correct. Correct. All right. We don't know if it was these neighbors who were living next door. Uh, we don't know if it was the manager. We don't know if it was somebody on another floor. We just don't know. Correct. And in fact, it very well could be that this 911 call was completely made up. That's possible. It, somebody called 911, but it could be a lie. Is that a possibility? It's a possibility. Okay. So let's move on to this. Being that his name was uh, brought up, Randy Allen... Uh, I'll ask you again. Had you ever heard of him before uh, Teresa went missing? Had she ever brought him up to you or anybody else? No. Okay. Um, the building manager, do you know if the building manager was ever asked about Randy Allen as to whether he was uh, a, a guy who was living next door with these other people? From what I understand, they said they didn't know of him. Mm-hmm. And that he did not, he wasn't anywhere on any of the lease buildings. Okay. Do you know if the police were able to track Randy down and talk to him, being that he his name was mentioned during this 911 call, do you know if the police were able to track him down? I believe they did. And did he own up to knowing Teresa? Did he own up to... Um, Walking away with Teresa, going westbound. Did he own up to any of that? No. Okay. All right. I don't think we should be uh, surprised by that. The problem is we're not even sure that Randy and Teresa knew each other because she never mentioned him. Yeah, but Teresa didn't mention a lot of the drug Mm. people that she knew. Okay. All right. Good point. That I do know. Okay. Let's, so Randy Allen, he, he was allegedly seen with her, but I don't know how much proof we have of that. 
Okay, let's move on to this guy who called uh, the day before, David Mahowich, who was calling. We remember to remind the listeners that um, Teresa was coming back from the hospital with this counselor. She picks up the phone. There's this guy wanting some money. Did the did the police track him down? Yes, they did. And uh, what did he have to say when they did? Uh, of course, you know he was seemingly threatening her about this money. What did he have to say? Oh, he said they were just friends, and that he didn't know that she had gone missing, and that he didn't think she owed him any money, and if it was, it was only a couple bucks. So he called her and berated her for five uh, for five minutes. As I'm, I'm inclined to believe this counselor because I do not believe that she, she is an addict or a criminal or anything else. I'm inclined to believe her. So this this five minute phone call was just over a couple bucks. That's what David would have us believe. That's what he wants us to believe. Okay. Uh, did he say anything to your once again to your knowledge what you've found out about that argument? Uh, when he called uh, Teresa and was berating her, did he have anything to say about that call? He didn't remember it. Do we even know how long after Teresa went missing that police talked to him? Any ideas? Uh, I don't know the exact timeline. Okay. All right, I guess what I'm trying to figure out, I, you know, if it, if it was a week later, that sounds... Uh, not believable, <laughs> but if it was six yeah. months later, maybe then that does start to sound maybe a belie- maybe be- uh, a little believable. But something that you did tell me, and I have it here in my notes, uh, is that even though he said he didn't know Teresa was missing, it seems that after that day in which he called her, berating her, he didn't call her again. Yeah, according to the phone records, the call stopped. The call stopped. Okay. Well, I would just stop calling if you didn't know somebody was missing. I I agree with you. So this is once again going back to that nine one one call that we don't know who the caller is. And uh, I, I would uh, I'm just going to say this on the record for the for the public. The police should be able to tell you where whose number it was that called nine one one. Okay, they should be able to do that. You need to put that on your list. Okay. To to find out who that was because. Uh, even though we don't do any theorizing on these uh, interviews, I would not be surprised to find out that it was David Mahowich that called 911. I would not be surprised. All right, so, so, um, okay. So he was tracked down, doesn't remember the argument, said it was just a couple bucks. Uh, and you had told me also that it's possible that David had the hots for Teresa. Yes. Is that is that something that the police told you, or does somebody else tell you? Do you even know how you um, even knew that? Just from the report, and that from the interview with the police, and there was a private investigator that was involved that we had hired. Mm -hmm. That it kind of sounded like he was interested in my sister. Okay. All right, we're going to get to the private investigator here uh, before it's all over. Very good. All right, so let's um, now, of course, we have Randy Allen. He, the only reason he's being mentioned is because uh, he was mentioned in this 911 call. We talked about David because of the problem he had with uh, Teresa the day before. We just talked uh-huh. about the interview that he did with police. That 
don't know if we're, we're to believe what we're, he's saying or not. But let's go back to this break-in that happened a few months uh, before she went missing. Um, was this an actual break-in, uh, as we usually ter- uh, understand it, or was this somebody breaking into her place because uh, Teresa owed this guy money? From what I understand, it was in the report that this uh, chemo character mm-hmm. broke into Teresa's apartment to steal her TV and her phone because she owed him 40 bucks or something like that for, for drugs. Wow. Okay. And so when he, when it, it, so it wasn't just a random break in, somebody just walking along there and goes into her apartment. This is somebody that she knew who went in and did this. Okay. And uh, so she wasn't home when this happened? He just kind of busted down the door? Once again, the way you understand it, just kind of busted it down? Yes, correct. uh, I know he was with another guy. Uh, This was not a a one-man operation. Uh, Were they caught after they did this? Uh, Yes, eventually they were caught, and they were uh, forced. They made them give back the TV and the cell phone. Okay. Is this a cell phone that would have been with Teresa when she went missing? Most likely. Okay. Do you happen to know, once again, just to your knowledge, that whether this guy Chemo and this other guy had any other interactions with Teresa after this all happened? Did these guys go to jail? Do we know where they were at the time of Teresa's disappearance? I think they were in jail. Okay. Um, I, I seem to remember in the report that at the time of Teresa's disappearance, they were incarcerated okay. in Genesee County. I don't think anybody would be surprised by that. Okay. okay. Now, so, but we could say, of course, Randy gets mentioned in the 911 call. We have David, who av- absolutely seems to have a beef with uh, Teresa, maybe not just because of money, but unrequited love. And then we have at least these other two guys who had broken into her apartment uh, a couple months before that seems like they were in jail, but sometimes things can be done from jail as well, getting others to do something. But here's the key. Do, to your knowledge, once again, do Randy and David and Chemo even know each other? Were they friends? Did they deal drugs together? Did they hang out together? Do you even know any about any of that? No, I have no idea. Okay, so no proof that they were good friends, but no proof that they knew each other either. Correct. All right. Okay, so I guess what I'm saying to the listeners is if there's not a a strong connection between these three guys, so I think that if we're going to think that maybe foul play occurred in Teresa's disappearance, I think you're going to have to pick one of them. I think that's what I'm saying. It's hard to believe that... All of these people, these guys that we've mentioned, conspired to cause Teresa's disappearance. Or it could be somebody else that we don't even know. So I I just am trying to frame it that way for the listeners, just so they understand that I just don't get a a strong idea that these three guys uh, knew each other. And even if they knew each other, it doesn't seem like they would be working together. Okay. Let's move on to this. Uh, listeners know that I don't have a very high opinion of private investigators. Uh, we talk about, they come up once in a while. Um, maybe not as much as everybody would think regarding uh, disappearances. The fact is, is that 
Uh, private investigators are highly, 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 highly overrated when it comes to missing persons cases. I cannot stress that enough. But it does seem in your particular situation, uh, Laura, that your family uh, luckily found a good one. And you sent me the reports that this person or people prepared for you after their work. And I have to say that I, I, I'm fairly impressed uh, by it. Um, let's just talk about that a little bit. How did you get in con- contact with these people? Um, and let's just talk about a li- little bit about the work um, that they've done for you. Uh, my sister, Pat, is a CPA in a small firm out in Fenton, which is south of where we live. And um, she's a partner and one of the partners and their attorneys that they use for their, for their company suggested um, Beacon, I think it's Beacon Investigators. And that's how we got in touch with them was through my sister's mm. job. Right. And they did a very good job. Right. They, they were, they were, I'll put it to you this way. At the end of the investigation, they contacted my sister, Pat, because she was the one that was working with them and said, you know, we don't want to take your money anymore. Well, we think that we've gotten everything that we could possibly get. We're at it that end. They believe that it should be considered a homicide. Wow. And that's right in the report. Okay. Um, I, I know I've not asked you this before, but, um, Laura, do I have permission? You sent me those two reports. Do I have permission to post those publicly for the listeners so they can read them? Yes. Okay. I appreciate that. So listeners, by the time you're hearing our voices for this episode, those uh, reports will have been posted so you can see what actually actual good private investigator work, investigator work looks like. And so I feel very fortunate, um, that you were able to, um, be matched with them, uh, and, and certainly in your sister's position, she would be in a, a position to know people who uh, are good ones, uh, taking yes. their work seriously. Uh, do you even know if this private investigator or investigators uh, had any work, uh, had any experience working on missing persons cases in the past? Do you even know? That I'm not sure of. Okay. Okay. Did you, I, I know that your uh, sister was the, the point person for all of this, but did you have an opportunity to talk to them as well? I did not. Oh, you didn't. Okay. And how long would you say that uh, maybe even to this day, I guess you could consider, maybe consider them to still be on the job, but how soon after uh, Teresa went missing did they get hired and how long did they, how, how much um, time, months, or years did they put into their work? Um, Do you even remember? I think, I think my sister Pat hired them in May of 2017. Mm-hmm. And it was the end of July when they wrapped up the investigation. Okay. And they did get to speak to some of the people that we've talked about in, in this interview, correct? Yes. And they were able to track these people down and... Uh, so the listeners will get to read those uh, reports. I will be posting them uh, on our Facebook page and in the group, and I will also post them on uh, our website, theunfoundpodcast.com, so people can look at those reports and see what they can make of them. Uh, I think that um, they'll be very revealing, and it's a good supplemental 
uh, to this interview uh, that Laura has done with me. All right, so you have a private investigator. Do you think if any new information pops up in the future that um, they might get hired again or do more work for you? What do you think? Yes. Okay. Definitely, we Great. would hire them again. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to ask you a point blank, blank question. Do you think that the private investigator agency did more work for you than the police did? Yes. Yes. Yes, they yes. did more work. Okay. They worked. They worked with Don Schreiber, who was the detective, the active detective at the time. He's now since then retired. Mm-hmm. But the investigators did say that they worked with him, and he was very helpful. Mm-hmm. But hands are tied when it's a an ongoing case. They couldn't right. do any more. Right. Okay. Well. Uh, I don't know if uh, Beacon Investigations wants to get more into missing persons cases, but if they're listening, there are a whole heck of a lot of other families out there looking for some good private investigator work. You probably, uh, they may be in uh, Michigan, but they probably could get work all over the United States if they wanted to. Just sending them a message. Yeah, just sending them a message if they'd like to expand their business. uh, Because, like I said, I've talked about private investigators before. I have a very, very low opinion of them. And so, once again, it was nice here in 2021 to see some uh, good work uh, that was done by at least one uh, agency. So, it's very, I feel very fortunate, uh, or I, I'm very happy that you were fortunate to have them on your team. Very good. I'll share that information with my family because I'm sure it will help put some ease into our family knowing yeah. that we had. A very good investigation team. As far as I can tell, yes. Uh, you know, you, you just have to remember that this kind of disappearance, uh, Lara, with uh, a woman like your sister who you love very much, your family love her or anything, she made a lot of bad choices. Okay. She's lot, around a lot of people who aren't used to telling the truth. And that yeah. that makes trying to solve this kind of disappearance very difficult. So anybody that's going to take it on like this private investigator has just to do what they've done is better, I think, than most would be able to do. Um, This was a little more what you might call a more straightforward disappearance where people's recollections are a little better and people uh, around this aren't as shady. Then probably the expectation would be a lot higher. But given this right. particular situation, and we don't know where she was for certain hours, and we don't even know if that text was from her, uh, what you got out of this investigation agency was pretty good. Pretty, pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty good. I, okay. I agree. Okay. Let's move on to this. It's been, um, you know, it's going to, I guess we're over the four-year anniversary, and unfortunately moving toward the five-year anniversary yeah. here. here. Um what has this been like for you, Laura? Of course, I'm talking to you, but you have a brother. You have another sister. Um, it, it seems that your father uh, passed away back in, I think you said, 2008. Is your mother still alive? What has yeah. this been like for all of you? Um, it's been very difficult. Um, when, when disappearance happened, it's you immediately think, oh, my God, this is happening to us. You know, this is something you see on TV. This is something that you don't think that you're ever going to have to deal with. Um, 
it's been very difficult for my nieces. Um, their mom missed both of their graduations. Um, drivers, you know, driver's training. Pretty, pretty big moments in the girls' lives. Um, my sister Pat was extremely close with Teresa. Um, due in part because of their age. They were only 14 months apart. And it was almost like losing a twin, you know, because that's how close they were. Um, my mom. I don't think my mom will leave this earth until she knows where Teresa is. And that's the hardest. Mm -hmm. It's hard. It's hard to look at my mom and not see. Um, it just fear, sadness, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, She's 85 years old. She looks mm -hmm. amazing. She looks 65. Hmm. Uh, she, she's amazing. And I hope and pray someday that we will have closure. And that's, that's mm -hmm. the biggest thing for the girls, for me, for my mom, for our friends and family. It's been very hard. I've stated this uh, in past uh, episodes that are kind of similar to Teresa's disappearance, that it is amazing how many people who are addicts or recovering addicts uh, go missing either right before going to rehab or right after going to rehab. Yeah. It is, I don't, I, I've talked to other people about it, I've talked to my assistants about it, I've talked to people, other people who specialize in disappearances about it and you know there's no there's a lot of different possibilities i don't think anybody has a a good you know number one answer uh sometimes it could be well you know they're going they know they're going to rehab they want to get high one more time you know and, yeah. and then it goes too far and they overdose that happens uh could be also people don't want them to go to rehab and because no. these people are a source of income for drug dealers and they do something you know, to this person who's going to try to go to rehab. And then people getting out uh, of rehab, you know, rehab, uh, as you know, uh, a lot of times doesn't stick. And people go back yeah. to what they were doing. And, uh, you know, they haven't been doing drugs for a month, but they want to go back to how much they were doing before. And that is an adverse effect on the body. And, yeah. and who knows who they run into once they got out of rehab. Once again, if a person owes money or, or something like that. But it is... It just seems to me that in a lot of these types of disappearances, like Teresa, it happens to men too, that right before, right after uh, rehab. In fact, just the beginning of this year, we covered the disappearance of Noah Davis, who was supposed to go to rehab and ducked out of it, and then he yeah. went missing. So um, these, it's it's more common maybe than the public thinks. Um Laura, do you have a Facebook page, website, anything like that set up for Teresa's disappearance? If you do, please mention those items right now. Uh, we do not, although here in Genesee County, there still is a Crime Stoppers reward out for any information on her disappearance. Okay. Um, How much I is that? Do you know? What's that? How much is it? Twenty-five hundred dollars. Okay. 
All right, and so that is Crime Stoppers in Michigan, in the Burton, Michigan area. Genesee County, yep. Genesee County, okay. Well, if you don't have a Facebook page, my suggestion is you th- should should think about it. Okay. Uh, of course, that's up to you. It's something that you have to manage. Uh, oh, I have a Facebook page. I just don't have no. anything on there about my sister. Yeah, okay. Not anymore. Okay. Well... Uh, it's a, it's a good suggestion. It certainly does raise the profile of missing people. There's no, there's no doubt about that. But once again, that's, that's totally up to you. So, um, but either way, uh, I'll be here to continue to like counsel for you. Anything pops up, anything that you think I need to know about, uh, except for this interview, everything else is off the record. So uh, you can always uh, feel free to talk to me in confidence. You know, if there's something, once again, if something pops up, Ed, what do you think about this? And we can talk about it. So I just want to be a resource for you uh, until uh, Teresa's found, whether deceased, of course, or alive. Right. Uh, All right. Any final words? Any final words before we complete this interview, Laura? Uh, Thank you for reaching out for unfound reaching out to me and my family and um we're just praying hope that somebody out there hears the podcast and might be able to add share shed some light to the situation okay and i appreciate your time i appreciate you uh being on the program thank you thanks ed you're a good guy man. <laughs> well thanks i appreciate that i try to be I, I try to be. I, I I appreciate that. Thank you. I I try to be. I, I appreciate and I appreciate you being on this episode of Unfound. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And that was my May sixth, twenty twenty one interview with Laura Toth, sister of Teresa Town Woolard. I thank her for joining me and all of you on the program. I realize we quite often discuss the inadequacies of law enforcement in disappearance investigations. That does not make unfound anti-law enforcement. Instead, we view police officers as humans who continue to make the same mistakes over and over again regarding the cases we cover on this program. Michigan, Florida, California, Texas, wherever... The same errors everywhere. However, I think it's also fair to say that many of the unsolved, unfound disappearances would still be unsolved, even with perfect work by law enforcement. Why? Because these cases are tough. I'm mentioning this because Teresa's is one of those disappearances where I think with decent work on December 11th, 2016, this case could have been solved fairly quickly. I'm not saying Teresa would have been found alive. I'm not saying her killer, if she was killed, would have been caught that day. I'm not saying we would know every nook and cranny of what caused Teresa to disappear. But I think her case would be resolved. Once again, if the officer or officers on the scene for the 911 call would have done what they're supposed to do. But they didn't. If the witness said Teresa and a guy walked west from the apartment complex, why didn't the officers drive that direction to try to find them? 
This was a domestic violence call, not a cat in a tree one. If the witness said it was Randy Allen, and in fact, I'm not sure the witness said that, then Randy should have been located immediately. He could be a murder suspect, after all. If the witness was also the 911 caller, what caused this person to think a 911 call was warranted? And if this witness was not the caller, then police should have tracked that person down. Did they? We don't know. Teresa's family still doesn't even know who the caller is, despite 911 calls being made public all the time, even on many true crime podcasts. Did the police not see the interior of Teresa's apartment and say, she looks like she left right in the middle of packing? That doesn't sound right. Where is that Columbo-like intuitiveness in these law enforcement people? Do they not have it? I guess it does sound like I'm trying to tell other people how to do their jobs. But I also know that when families have questioned law enforcement behavior in situations like this, the explanations are thin and arrogant. We the public should not have to put up with responses like that, even if we aren't the aggrieved party. There's not even a statement of, you know, we should have taken it more seriously at the time. Families can't even get that. So, Teresa's case at the time was solvable. I believe within 72 hours. But now we're over four years in. And we the public are left holding the bag with another disappearance involving three men and a lady. I'll leave the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a nice review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Densel, and you've been listening to Unfound.